Amen. How many feel that way this morning? Say, Lord, just fill my way with love. Amen. Uh, something about that song just touches my heart. They're right, Sister Laura. Amen. That's our songbook song. Amen. We love it. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer uh, this morning, and I know there's a multitude of things to pray about. And I know there's several's got this stomach or whatever this little bug is going around that's, uh, amen, causing havoc. So let's remember them in our prayers. Look around if you see someone. If uh, the Lord lays somebody on your heart, man, just just take it to heart, amen. Take it to heart and really, really uh, go to the Lord in prayer for them. How many have something on your heart today? Hold that hand up. Hold that thought in your heart. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you today, Lord, for the health and strength that you give us. Thank you, Lord God, for your provision, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for healing and delivering, God. We ask you, Lord, by faith today that you administer to those, Lord, God, that can't be with us, Lord. And we pray, God, that you help them, Lord. God, raise them up. Encourage them, Jesus. Lord, we pray today, God, that you speak to our hearts once again, Lord. Let your word resonate with us, Lord. God, help us, Lord, God, to take your word, God, and apply it to our lives, Lord. God, we ask you, Lord, God, for your favor today, Lord, God. Strengthen us and give us, Lord, God, what we need. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen, amen, amen. Turn around and shake somebody's hand this morning. Ushers, come forward. We'll take up our little class offering. Sister Rexanne. I'm going to do something just a little bit different today, so be prepared. Uh, listen, I want everybody to know, today's offering, our little, our little class offering, amen, if you want to, want to bless the evangelist, this is your opportunity. We're going to give this cash offering to our evangelist. We've, we're going to take care of him, of course, of the church, but we just want to do a little something extra, especially since I throw this on him today. So uh, our offering today, amen, you want to do something special, uh, put that in the offering plate. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to give, Lord. We ask that you bless this offering, Lord God. We pray that you bless God, evangelism, Lord. God, help us, Lord God, just to give to you, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we thank you for it. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Well, it's great to have Brother Adrian Sanford with us here this morning. And amen. I didn't give him any heads up other than last night about uh, talking to our Bible class today, so I'm going to invite him out here. Amen. How many, how many enjoyed that message last night? We asked the Lord to speak to us, and I believe he did. Come on, put your hands together. Amen. Brother Sanford. Amen. How many glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Restraint. So if you have your Bibles, I will uh, go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter number 43. Uh, say that it is an honor to be able to speak to you this morning. And, uh, I love studying the Word of the Lord. I love studying God's Word. Uh, I'm going to do my best just to uh, talk to you about something this morning that I am very passionate about something that I believe that we cannot lose as an apostolic church. And, uh, so Isaiah 43, and I'll, I'll save my comments to uh, the, the worship service because I understand that we are uh, uh, under time restraint. So Isaiah 43 and verse number 10, 
verse 11. The Bible says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Watch this, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. The Lord said, I want you to know, believe, and understand that I am He. And for a few moments today, I just want to talk to you about the oneness of God. The oneness of God. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. Since the birth of Jesus Christ, there has been a wide range of views concerning who Jesus Christ is. From the time he was born until his death, burial, and ascension, there were people who praised him, and then there were people who opposed him. Jesus was a, and still is, a very polarizing personality in the world. There will never be a unanimous consensus concerning the identity of that man, Jesus Christ. But I believe this is a very important question, and it is a very important issue. Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 42, the Bible says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And I believe this is an important question. In fact, I would even say that this is the ultimate question. It is something that must be settled in the life of an individual, and that is... What think ye of Christ? Because the fact is we cannot go through life without drawing a conclusion concerning the identity of that man, Jesus Christ. This is why Matthew 16, 13 through 17 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And it's amazing that Jesus continually comes back to this question throughout his earthly ministry. He wants to make sure his disciples have a revelation of who he is. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus pivots the conversation from asking, whom do they say that I am, to whom do you say that I am? And we understand Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now I believe that there are two important revelations we need to get a hold of when we read those verses. The first revelation is we can only know who Jesus is by getting a revelation from God himself. Because Jesus tells Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. You cannot study enough. You cannot listen enough. The only way you can get a revelation of who Jesus is is it's got to come directly from God the Father. And then we'll take it a step further and understand the reason why it's important to, to know who Jesus is is because Jesus then tells Peter that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, there's some religious persuasions who believe what Jesus was saying is uh, that, Peter, I'm going to build my church upon you. Uh, 
But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. Uh, He was not saying that I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. Uh, Jesus was emphatically saying uh, that I'm going to build my church on the revelation uh, that you have of me, Peter. Uh, And this is why it's important that we know who Jesus is. Uh, He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Can I submit to you this morning that the only church the gates of hell will never prevail against is the church who sits on the revelation of who Jesus is. That's why it's imperative that we know who He is. And how many are thankful this morning that you can have a divine revelation of who that man Jesus is? It is a very important question because Jesus asked it more than once in His ministry. In fact, it was a topic of concern in the prayers of Christ. John 17 and 3, the Bible says, and this is life eternal. What is life eternal? Surely that's what we're all here for this morning. He said, this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So this tells me that a revelation of both God and Christ are essential to eternal life. John 8, 24, the Bible says, uh, these are the words of Jesus when he says, I said, therefore unto you, uh, that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you that it is not optional, uh, this revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, but it's absolutely fundamental uh, and essential with your walk with God uh, to have a revelation of who Jesus is. This is why Jesus even said, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now it's not chronologically the first commandment, for there were other commandments that preceded this commandment. But what Jesus is implying is that this is the greatest of all commandments. It's not the first in chronological order, but it is the first in order of importance because there is no greater revelation than you will ever receive than a revelation of who you worship. In fact, your your worship is intrinsically connected or a revelation of God is intrinsically connected to your worship. This is why Jesus said in John 4, you worship, you know not what, but we know who we worship. For worship is of the Jews. You've got to have a revelation of God in order to truly give Him worship. See, anybody can praise. I think it's Psalm 148. The Bible says everything God created, He created to praise. Anything can praise. The only qualification you need to be a praiser is let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's the only qualification you need to give God praise. But not everybody can worship. You see, you praise God because of what He's done. But you worship Him because you know who He is. And you've got to have a revelation of who He is in order to truly give Him worship. This is why our text says that I want you to know. I want you to believe me. And I want you to understand that I am He. Can I submit to you this morning that God wants us to do more than just know it? God wants us to do more than even just believe it. But God wants us to understand it. Because can I submit to you that if I do not understand truth, there is a chance that I may lose that truth. You see, the ultimate question is not do you know truth. 
The ultimate question is not even do you believe truth. The ultimate question is do you understand truth. Matthew 13, 19 puts it this way. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth the way that which was sown, not just in his mind but in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Look at what the Bible's telling us. They heard the word of the kingdom. They had knowledge of it. It was sown in their heart. They believed it. But because they did not understand it, the Bible says the wicked one took it from their heart. Ladies and gentlemen, please don't ever be satisfied to sit on an apostolic pew and be content that you know truth. Don't ever be satisfied to sit on a pew and be content that you believe truth. But somewhere along the line, you've got to take what you know and what you believe and take it to an altar and say, Lord, I want you to get this in my understanding. Because the only protection truth has in your heart is truth you understand. Not truth you know and not truth you believe, but truth you understand. This is why Matthew 13 goes on and tells us in verse 23, But he that receiveth seed in the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. And when you understand it, that's when you're going to bear forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. But you've got to be able to understand truth in order for truth to bring forth fruit in your life. See, the only, and I've got to hurry, but the only possibility of deception after you receive an understanding of truth is if you receive not a love of that truth. The Bible says God will send you a strong delusion. Let you believe a lie and be damned. We always think of God as a source of revelation. But can I tell you, there's two deceivers in that Bible we better worry about. We better worry about the devil taking it from us because we don't understand it. But we also better worry about God taking it from us if we do understand it, but do not love it. I'm convinced that God is so concerned about His truth, Pastor, uh, that we, He will not allow us to understand it and not love it and hang on to it forever. But somewhere along the line, I've got to understand truth and then I've got to fall in love with that truth. Because if I understand it, the devil cannot take it. And if I love it, God will not take it. So the question becomes as we get into this, how many is God? Malachi 2 and 10 answers that. The Bible says, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Mark 12 and 32, the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. What is the truth? For there is one God, and there is none other but he. Romans 3 and 30, seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith, and uncircumcision through faith. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, But unto us there is but one God the Father. 1 Timothy 2 and 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. James 2, 19, Thou believest there is one God. You're doing well. The devils also believe, and they tremble. What makes the devils tremble about the revelation of one God? We remember the story about Legion. I've heard he had 2,000 devils. I even heard he's had 16,000. 
fact is, I think one devil's too many. The Bible says when Jesus steps on the scene, that man runs and falls at his feet and begins to worship. And the demons cry out and say, have you come to torment us before our time? What makes the devils tremble at the revelation of one God? It's because they have an understanding. It only takes one God to defeat everything that we have. And while we're here, a little, just a little crowd participation. How many Satans are there in that Bible? One. It's not, it's not a trick question. <clears throat> One, right? Now that's amazing because I've never, met, I've never met anybody that said there's more than one Satan or more than one devil. Now there's a lot of fallen angels. The Bible says the tail of the dragon drew a third of the angels out with his tail. But there's only one devil or one Satan. That's amazing because that Bible calls that one devil the father of all lies. That Bible calls that one devil the son of perdition. The Bible calls that one devil a spirit when it says he's going to pose as an angel of light. I've never met one person that said there's more than one Satan. But that Bible calls him a father, a son, and a spirit. But people struggle with the revelation of only one God because that Bible calls him a father, son, and spirit. Can I tell you that the devil's been lying to us a long time about who God is? But God will always tell us the truth about who the devil is. There is only one God. There's over 3,000 verses that say there's one God. If all we had were those list of verses I just read to you, it would be more than enough. But not only is there one God, but Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God with me. Second Chronicles 2 and 5 says, The house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. Isaiah 43 and 10 says, I am He, before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Isaiah 44, 24 says, I stretch forth the heavens alone, I spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Isaiah 45 and 6 says, There is none beside me, and there is none else. Isaiah 46 and 9 says, There is none else, and there is none like me. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is there one God, but that one God says there's none with me, there's none above me, there's none before me and after me. He said, I am alone, I'm by myself. There is none beside me, and there is none else. If God was trying to convey his oneness to us, how could he make it any clearer? By saying there's only one God and I'm alone, I'm by myself, there's none above me and there is none else. And if that's all we had, it would be enough. But that's not all that we have. You see, not only is there one God who is alone by himself, etc. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So not only is there one God, but that one God is one. Mark 12 and 29, Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Galatians 3 and 20 says, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. So not only is there one God, but that one God is one. 
You, say, you see, saying that there's one God tells you how many gods there are. But saying God is one tells you how many God is. You see, the difference between us and other religious persuasions is not a surface claim that there's only one God. Because many out there say there's one God, but they say that one God is in three separate people. So they have one God who is three. But we don't believe that because that's not what the Bible teaches. We not only say that there's one God, but we say emphatically that one God is one. See, this is what Galatians 3 and 20 is saying when it says a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. What is Paul teaching us? Paul is telling us that a mediator cannot mediate with one person. But if two people get in an argument, if two people have a disagreement, I can now become a mediator and step between them. Because a mediator has to be a mediator of two, not one. But Paul says what the mediator is not, that's what God is. A mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. In fact, that is the literal translation of James 2.19. Thou believest God is one. So now the question becomes, who is God? Malachi 2 and 10 answers this. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? So the one God is the Father. John 8, 41, you do the deeds of your Father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, but unto us there is but one God, the Father. Ephesians 4 and 6, there is one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So only the Father is God. So we got to get this because we're, we're, we're taking steps as we go. There's only one God, and that one God is one. And that one God who is one is the Father because only the Father is God. So then the question becomes, is Jesus God. I've got to hurry. I can say Jesus is God because there's Old Testament prophecy and then there's New Testament revelation. I want you to watch this. I'll give you one example because I don't have time to go through it all. Zechariah 12 and 10. Zechariah 12 and 10. This is God, the Father, speaking through the prophet. He says, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now wait a minute, this is God the Father talking. And he said, there's a day coming when you're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. How do you pierce God? Because God is a spirit. And a spirit, according to Jesus, has not flesh and bone. So how do you crucify a spirit? But God said there's a day coming when they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. And they're going to mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So God the Father is speaking through the prophet saying there's going to come a day 
when they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced and they're going to mourn for him. And of course, this was fulfilled by Christ in John 19, 34 and 37 when the Bible says, and they pierced his side and there came out blood and water. And again, another scripture said, they're going to look upon him whom they have pierced. God the Father of the Old Testament is speaking prophetically and said, they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. And when they do, he looks all the way through time to the crucifixion of Jesus and said, they're going to mourn for him. What are you trying to say, God? God is trying to tell us that the me is him and the him is me. Because when they pierce me, it's when they're going to mourn for him. And when they mourn for him, it's when they're going to pierce me. Aren't you thankful that you can have a revelation that the man Jesus who died on the cross was, yes, a man, but he was also 100% God. And I'll give you another one because this is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You want to write them down? I think it's Exodus 15 and 2. I think it's Psalm 118, 24. And then I think it is uh, Isaiah 12 and 2. They all say the same thing. But context. Exodus 15 and 2, Moses in Israel has just come out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh was drowned in the waters, the Bible says. And Moses begins to sing the song of Moses. Moses says these words in Exodus 15 and 2. The Lord is my strength and song. The Lord has become my salvation. Now to bring context to what Moses is saying, that word Lord is in all caps in your King James Version of your Bible. Anytime you see the word Lord in all caps, understand this is the tetragrammaton. It's God's Old Testament name. It's Yahweh or Jehovah. So Moses is saying, the Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. Jehovah has become my salvation. David sings the same song in Psalm 118. The Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. Isaiah sings the same thing. The Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. What is Moses, David, and Isaiah really saying? It's really fascinating, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at that word salvation in the Hebrew, it's where we get the word Yeshua, which translates to Jesus. So do you know what Moses, David, and Isaiah are saying? They're saying the Lord or Jehovah is my strength and song. Jehovah has become my Jesus. This is why when the angel appears to, Moses, to, to Joseph and Mary, the angel says, you can't call him anything you want to call him. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sin. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It means Jehovah has become my salvation. There was a day when Moses saw it. There was a day when David saw it. There was a day when Isaiah saw it. He said, Jehovah isn't just going to be my strength and song, but Jehovah, there's a day coming when Jehovah's going to become my Jesus. There's a day coming when that God, the Father, is going to put on flesh and He's going to die on a cross. 
Jesus was and is Almighty God. I can also say it because of plain statements. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. How can the Son be the Everlasting Father? Unless the Son is the Everlasting Father. This is why John 20 and 28, Thomas looks at Jesus after he had touched the nail prints in his hands and the spear in his side. Thomas looks at Jesus and says, My Lord and my God. It's hidden in the English version of our Bibles. But what Thomas is really saying is when he looked at Jesus, he calls him my Lord, which is a title of respect. Much like we call Brother Purdue Pastor, it's a title of respect. He was calling Jesus, Lord, you're my master, you're my teacher. It speaks of his human nature. Thomas then smashes on another word at the end of it when he says, my God. Because that word God is the word theos, which means supreme divinity. You know what Thomas was saying? The only way you're standing here alive today is that you're not just a man. You're not just my Lord. But you're also my God. You're both human and deity fused together in the same body. And I don't have time, but there's men all throughout the epistles who speak about the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul speaks about it in Colossians 2 and 9 when he said, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. James speaks of the deity of Jesus when he says in 2.1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Jude speaks about his deity. When he says in Jude 125, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. John speaks of the deity of Jesus in Revelation 1 and 8. When he says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. But I can also say Jesus was God because Jesus was worshipped. You remember in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil tempts Jesus? And he says, if you give me your worship, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus hits back with Bible and he says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. And him only shalt thou serve. Jesus is saying that God only is worthy of worship. So if Jesus receives worship, he's got to be the father. His reception of worship is the ultimate proof of his deity. Do you know men tried to worship angels and angels rejected it? Do you know men tried to worship other men and men rejected it? You see, when angels were worshipped, they gave an angelic response, do not worship us. When men were worshipped, they gave a man's response, do not worship us. But when Jesus was worshipped, something began to happen. Angels rejected it, men rejected it. But in Matthew 2, wise men worshipped Jesus. Matthew 8, lepers worship Jesus. Matthew 9, a ruler worshiped Jesus. Matthew 14, disciples worship Jesus. Matthew 15, a woman of Canaan worshiped Jesus. Matthew 18, a servant worshiped. Matthew 20, a mother and her son worshiped. Mark 5, legion worshiped. John 9, a blind man worshiped. You see, when angels were worshiped, they gave an angelic response. 
When men were worshipped, they gave a man's response. But when Jesus was worshipped, he gave a God response. Because when lepers worshipped him, he cleansed them. When legion worshipped him, he delivered him. And when the blind man worshipped him, he healed him. And the only way that's possible is Jesus has to be God. But if that's not enough proof, John 17, the Bible says he has God's name. Philippians 2, he has God's nature. John 4, he has God's spirit. Hebrews 1, he has God's image. John 1, he has God's glory. Matthew 28, he has God's power. Luke 11, God's finger. Acts 20, God's church. John 14, God's works. Ladies and gentlemen, anybody with God's name and nature and blood and spirit and image and power and church has got to be God. And if Jesus is not God, he deserves an Oscar because he's acting a whole lot like him. You see, it's one thing to steal his name, but he has God's nature. He does God's works. He has God's glory. C.S. Lewis postulated a trilemma concerning the nature of Christ. C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is either one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. C.S. Lewis wrote this in response to this idea that some people wanted to accept the personality of Christ but reject the deity of Christ by saying that Jesus was just a good man. So C.S. Lewis said that Jesus is a liar, which meant that Jesus said he was Lord, knew he wasn't Lord, therefore making him a liar. He said he's, he's a lunatic. Said he was Lord, thought he was Lord, and was not Lord, therefore making him crazy. Or he said he is Lord. Said he was Lord, knew he was Lord, and was Lord, therefore making him Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, when people look at that man Jesus, some people call him a liar. Some people call him a lunatic. But I'm thankful that we can have the revelation that he was neither of those two things. But he was and is the Lord of glory. I've got about ten minutes and I'm going to hasten this thing down. But this is something we need to look at. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 and 6. This is a verse that a lot of people have tripped over through the years. And I think it's something that uh, is worthy to look at. Philippians 2, 5 through 6, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And this is a verse that people point at in order to say that the Son and Father are equal in nature, but they are still distinct persons. They say Jesus is in the form of God, but he's equal with God. And you cannot have equality without comparison. They, they say, like me and your pastor, we are both equally human, but we are still distinct people. They feel like that's how that verse is translated. They think that Jesus and God are both equal in nature, but they are still distinct. So does that phrase, equal with God, necessitate comparison? Of two separate people. Not if you understand equality with God. The way Paul understood equality with God within the context of the Old Testament. I, I, I cannot stress this enough when I talk to people. You cannot understand the New Testament. If you do not have the foundation of the Old Testament. 
If you do not read everything in the New Testament with the backdrop of there's only one God in your mind, verses like that will mess you up. I believe that's why God said over 3,000 times in the Old Testament, there's only one God and that one God's one. So by the time you get to the New Testament, you understand that father-son language. So, who is God's equal? Paul said Jesus is equal with God. Who is Paul's equal? The Old Testament sheds light on that because God himself asked the question in Psalm 40 and 20, or Isaiah 40 and 25. God says, to whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal? See, this is the thing about God. He never asks a question without turning around and giving you an answer. In Isaiah 40, he says, who is my equal? But in Isaiah 46 and 9, he says, there, he says, I am God, and there is none else like me. God says, I'm the only God. There's nobody like me. There's nobody equal to me. So God is saying that if you find somebody that's equal to me, you haven't found somebody else. You just found me. Because I am God alone, and there's nobody who is my equal. So it's with this concept in mind. Paul knows God says nobody's my equal. And yet Paul still has the audacity to say that Jesus is equal with God. The only way Jesus is equal with God is Jesus has to be God. Now that's easy to say on the surface, but I'll prove it to you. See, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. I love commentaries. I love theologians. But as one man put it, we're not built on the foundation of commentaries. and We are built on the foundation of the apostles. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. <clears throat> the Greek word for equal that Paul uses when he says Jesus is equal with God is the Greek word isos or esos. You'll find that same word in Acts eleven seventeen. This is what Acts eleven seventeen says. For as much then as God gave them the like. Everybody say the like. God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? What is going on in Acts eleven seventeen? Peter is saying that what happened in Acts 11 is reflecting what happened in Acts 10. Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost is fell on the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. And when the Gentiles receive the Holy Ghost, it staggers the Jewish community. You mean to tell us that the Holy Ghost we got in Acts 2 is the same Holy Ghost the Gentiles got in Acts 10? And this is what Peter is saying in Acts 11. He's saying that God gave them the like gift. That word like is the same word that Paul uses as equal in Philippians. That word like is isos or esos. You know what Peter is saying? He is rising to the defense of the Gentiles by saying that God has now accepted the Gentiles into the church because the same Holy Ghost the Jews got in Acts 2 is the like or equal gift that we got in Acts chapter 10. Peter is saying that they didn't get a similar gift, but a different gift. He's simply saying that the same Holy Ghost that God gave the Jews in Acts 2 is the same Holy Ghost He gave the Gentiles in Acts 10. 
They're not kind of similar but still distinct. There's only one spirit, the Bible says. There's only one Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And Paul picks up on that same language when he says that Jesus is equal with God. Because if you can understand how Esos identifies the Holy Ghost of Acts 10 as the same Holy Ghost of Acts 2, then you ought to be able to understand how the equal of God identified the Jesus of Philippians 2 as the same Jehovah God of Isaiah. Paul is saying that Jesus is equal with God because they are one and the same. Jesus is God. They're not similar but distinct. Jesus is God. But I can also say that Jesus is not just the Father, but Jesus is Father and Son. Colossians 1 and 15, the Bible says that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world not unto themselves. See, we gloss over those words. But God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself. Jesus is not just the Father but he's also the son. And I'm done after this, but I want you to see this. Matthew 21, 1 through 7. I proved to you that Jesus isn't just the father, but Jesus is both father and son. And we'll, we'll close it down and transition. But I want you to get this. Matthew 21, 1 through 7. The Bible says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethage, Unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go over into a village, and straightway you're going to find an ass and a colt tied. Loose them. Everybody say them. Loose them and bring them. Everybody say them. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you just tell him that the Lord have need of them. Jesus is telling his disciples, You're going to go and find an ass and a colt. Don't come back with just one. I cannot stress this enough. Jesus said, don't you come back with just one. You come back with both. And if any man tries to stop you, you tell him the Lord hath need of them. The Bible says this was done that it might be fulfilled. This is another prophecy being fulfilled. Here's the prophecy. Tell you the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. Another rendition of this story tells us that the disciples put Jesus on the colt. Now, the one person Jesus Christ is traveling into Jerusalem, and he says, when I go into Jerusalem, I need both an ass and a colt. Why does one man need two animals to ride on? Again, the Bible interprets itself. Judges chapter 5 and verse 10 says Israel had a custom. Judges 5 and 10, the Bible says, Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment and walk by the way. The custom in Israel was judges rode upon the asses. Then Judges 10, 3 through 4, the Bible says, After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel. So this man is a judge. So he rides the ass. But then the Bible says he had 30 sons and they rode colts. 
The judge rode the ass. The son rode the colt. The father rode the ass. The son rode the colt. Jesus said, if that's your custom, I'm the only man in human history that needs both. Because I am father and I'm son. Can I tell you when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, he was making one more bold declaration that I am more than the man that you hate, but I am the Lord of glory. I am fulfilling prophecy that was spoken all the way back in the Old Testament. You see, being on a colt was a sign of peace. The prophecy was your king comes to you meek and lowly riding upon a colt. In times of peace, kings rode colts. In times of war, kings rode horses. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem that day on a colt, offering Jerusalem peace. But they rejected him and they crucified him. Can I tell you the next time Jesus goes into Jerusalem, it's not going to be on a colt. Revelation says the second time he comes, he's coming back on a horse. And I don't know about you ladies and gentlemen, but I would rather have Jesus on the colt today than have to deal with Jesus on the horse tomorrow. As we all stand right now all over this house. Why don't we lift our hands as we transition right now. And why don't we just thank the Lord for revelation that we have. That we're not just worshiping a man, but we're worshiping God manifest in the flesh. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that in your scriptures there is life. God, I'm thankful that you said search the scriptures because we're going to find life in your scriptures. God, I feel your presence right now in this house. Come on, why don't you just take a moment and give him worship right now before we transition. Come on, before we take a break and go into worship service, anybody have a revelation of the God that you serve in this room? He's not just a man. But he's also God. Amen. Bless you this morning. You can take a few minute break. And then we will come back together for worship service. Thank you.